Welcome to the exit ramp, which features the musings and sometimes the rantings and ravings of a man trapped in a bubble of plastic and steel barreling down the interstates of South Carolina. You know, I'm trapped in this car for nearly two hours every weekday on my commute to and from work, and this podcast is built on the notion that if you're listening, then I'm not talking to myself. So if you enjoy what you hear here, Give us a follow on Twitter at Exit Ramp Podcast. That's at Exit Ramp Podcast. Feel free to send your comments, your gripes, your complaints, or your questions that you want answered on the air to us via the DMs there. And please don't forget to rate us in iTunes or wherever it is that you find podcasts. So turn on your cruise control, sit back, and listen. But be warned the mostly true stories, the observations, unsolicited life advice that you find here might not be for the faint of heart. Alright, well we'll start out this morning with an interstate report. Uh, It's a uh, beautiful but very cold uh, January morning, the skies are pretty cloudless, uh, with the exception of a few wispy cirrus clouds and a handful of contrails. We call those contrails, not chemtrails, because this ain't Infowars. Uh, kind of an eggshell blue overhead, ombreing down to a really light, almost white blue uh, on the horizon. Quite a beautiful morning. And the uh, interstate's pretty empty today, uh, just me and a handful of 18-wheelers and a few other poor bastards trapped in their cars on the seemingly endless commute to and from work. Looks like it's going to be smooth sailing this morning. You know, one of the things that we'll do on the exit ramp is we'll tell mostly true stories. So we're going to kick off... This first episode, our inaugural episode, with one of those mostly true stories. And this mostly true story is about spirituality, or maybe the lack thereof. And it's about getting outside of your comfort zone. And it's about the importance of your local library. So, a little bit of background. I'm not exactly what you would call a very spiritual person. I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, kind of drifted away from that early on in my teens. started to seem like I had questions that, you know, the church either couldn't or wouldn't answer. And I kind of got the feeling early on that a lot of these folks who were in charge of, you know, my spiritual development, my spiritual education, hadn't themselves really thought very deeply about their own religious faiths, and a lot of times they've just kind of taken it for granted. And that just kind of left me high and dry. I felt a little stifled and kind of slowly began to drift away from that. Keep in mind that I was a teenager at the time, and like all teenagers, I was full of shit. thought that I knew everything there was to know, so take all that with a grain of salt. But regardless, I uh, spent most of my 20s, I think, trying to fill that that void uh, that the church uh, that the church had left when I drifted away, and 
kind of, you know, studied and kind of looked into other belief systems and nothing ever really fit. Tried to fill that void with whiskey for a while and that didn't really work. By the time that I was in my 30s, I had more or less settled into being an atheist. I don't really like that word because it scares people and I don't think people really understand exactly what I mean when I say I'm an atheist, Uh, but that's probably the most accurate term there is. Into this mix comes my wife, and my wife and I met a little later in life. I was, uh, I think, 38. Uh, She was, you know, 36 or 37. And uh, she comes from a much different background than mine, a uh, much different spiritual background. She comes from that most rare of homes in the rural South where they didn't really have a religious tradition at all. And in fact, kind of looked down their noses at organized religion. And in spite of that, or I guess maybe because of that, uh, she became a, a bona fide spiritual seeker uh, as an adult studied and immersed herself in Sufism and, you know, Buddhism and was attracted to um, some kind of new agey things, like transcendental meditation and whatnot. I think she blames me with with killing that spiritual drive in her, and I credit her with, you know, maybe opening my eyes to the possibilities of the universe. And it's not uh, it's not hard to see who got the best end of that deal, so sorry, baby. I love you. So, um, anyway, about, I guess a year ago, this was last summer, uh, we decided to go to this um, Kundalini yoga meditation session uh, at our local library. I, well, she decided to do that, and I agreed to go with her, partly because I, I'm genuinely curious about things like that, and, uh, partly because it was a good excuse to leave our, our five-year-old uh, with our, four, our then-14-year-old daughter, uh, her daughter, my stepdaughter, uh, for the afternoon and kind of get out for, you know, sort of a rare uh, day out, some adult time, which comes at quite a premium. So uh, we go to the library. I'm not sure exactly what I was expecting from this thing, but we showed up with yoga mats and wearing track pants and gym clothes and whatnot. And I think I was more or less expecting a yoga session, not unlike what you would do at the gym, you know, stretching and posing and whatnot, uh, with this, you know, spiritual overlay, you know, sort of sitting on top of it. Uh, but we get there, and it becomes quite apparent early on that this is not what we're in, what's in store for us. So we get there, and uh, everyone's just dressed casually. Uh, there are chairs lined up in the middle of this conference room off to the side of the library. And so we kind of stow our yoga mats uh, away in the corner and kind of sheepishly make our way to one of the chairs. And uh, We're greeted by uh, two folks who I assume are a couple uh, who are going to be leading uh, this this session, and they are, like most of the folks there, are Indians, uh, very nice, uh, very warm, greeted us, we sit down and kind of make small talk, and people are filtering in and out, uh, again, mostly Indians, uh, 
mostly families with, uh, with some children in tow. And there's uh, one other uh, white couple there, and they're a little older than us, and they look like they um, probably make uh, monthly trips to either Columbia or Myrtle Beach uh, to buy granola in bulk, which is probably a lot what uh, a lot like what I look like, if truth be told. Uh, so we sit down, and uh, finally the session begins, and they greet everyone, and the guy who's leading the session uh, puts on a YouTube video, and this YouTube video uh, features uh, this guru uh, who goes by the name of Mother, and Mother is uh, an older uh, lady, very matronly looking, uh, very calm and warm, and dressed in very colorful Hindi garb, and she begins talking about uh, this meditation practice and about kundalini energy and chakras and, you know, fairly standard guru-y type things about, you know, raising her consciousness and whatnot. And she talks for maybe 15, 20 minutes and the, the video's over and they ask us if we have any questions and, you know, people ask us mattering of questions and whatnot and, so finally we get to sort of the meat uh, of this uh, of this session, and we, we're going to do uh, a meditation session, a guided meditation uh, in the room together. And before they start, they hand out, so they, they go around the room and they hand out this picture of Mother. And this is my first real red flag that, or my first real indication that I'm a little bit further outside of my comfort zone. Um that I had bargained on when they tell us that this picture is imbued with positive energy and that it will work as, I forget the exact word they use, but it basically will work as a talisman to help us through uh, our meditation uh, and we can you know, focus on this picture and uh, Mother will, will be with us basically. So. Uh, at this point, I am uh, I'm trying to turn off my internal editor that what I call my bullshit detector, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, and I'm trying to enjoy this thing. I'm trying to get what I can out of it. And I'm trying to be open-minded. And I'm uh, trying to pay respect to these people's uh, beliefs and, and you know their religious practices and whatnot. But inside, I, I you know I'm a raging war. I wanna. Part of me wants to get up and bolt for the door because this is tripping off all of those religion alarms uh, that I've trained myself to sort of uh, be wary of uh, over the year. All of that baggage comes kind of running back. But I'm sitting there very quietly trying to process all of this, and we begin the meditation session. And uh, Mother's uh, meditation practice is a very specific one, and it involves, like most meditations, you know, sitting quietly, closing your eyes, and we're supposed to envision our bodies slowly becoming infused with light, and there's this series of motions that we're that we're led through. Uh, it involves things like moving your hand or your arm in an arc um, back and forth over your head, and while we repeat the this mantra that Mother uh, has come up with. And so we do this uh, meditation session, and the entire time, I, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to really meditate. I'm not really that good at meditation, or I haven't been in the past. And I, as I said before, I'm just a 
Like there, there's a war raging inside me, and I, I'm trying to get what I can out of this, and I'm trying to get lost in the moment, and I'm trying to be serious, and I'm trying to turn off that internal editor, and I'm also trying to make sure that I'm taking care of this picture of mother, which is now kind of sitting on my lap, and I'm scared to death that I'm going to, it's going to slide off my lap, and I'm going to end up stepping on it, or desecrating it in some way, and offending everybody in the room, and all these things are kind of raging inside me, and I'm trying to... I'm trying to sit there and I'm trying to do, giving it an honest, genuine try, trying to do this meditation, and it just, it's not really working for me. And so the meditation session is over, and it oh, probably lasts about 10 minutes, um, but again, I'm sitting there with my eyes closed, and trying to concentrate on it, and not having a whole lot of success, so it seems like it's more like 25 years. And the meditation session is over, and we all open our eyes, and look around the room, and they tell us to uh, put our hands on top of our heads. Not, with the palm not resting on top of the head, but sort of hovering right above the crown of the skull. And the idea is that if we've meditated correctly, if we've uh, done Mother's Mantra and her meditation session correctly, we'll be able to feel this cooling sensation of the Kundalini energy leaving our bodies through the tops of our heads. And again, by this time, I am way outside of my comfort zone. Uh, I'm almost as far outside of my comfort zone as I was one of the very last times that I darkened the door of a Southern Baptist church, not not counting you know, someone getting married or dying, uh, going to a wedding or a funeral. And I was at my parents' church, and the pastor, I shit you not, began in his prayer to pray for deliverance, that we would be delivered from the liberal media. And much like what's happening at the library that uh, today, on that day, I sat there with my eyes closed, you know, fighting the urge to bolt for the door, which is exactly what I'm doing here in the library that day. And they begin to go around the room and they say, oh, are you able to feel, you know, the kundalini energy, this cooling sensation? And most of the people are like, oh, yes, yes, I feel it. I, I, feel, I, I feel the energy leaving my head. And they go around the room and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what, what have I gotten myself in for here? You know, these people are full of shit. They are full of shit in much the same way that folks who are running up and down the aisles, hooping and hollering and speaking in tongues in the holiness church are full of shit. And, you know, I'm not saying that there's no such thing as being full up with the spirit, but I am saying that most of those folks are putting on a show. And I wonder if most of those folks in that conference room at the library that day were putting on a similar show and claiming to have felt this kundalini energy. Now, either that or, here's the, you know, skeptic, the rationalist in me kind of coming out, either that or they've convinced themselves that they should be feeling it, and so through, you know, psychosomatic sort of power of suggestion, they do feel this energy, you know, coming from, uh, coming from the tops of their heads as they've meditated and whatnot. So I think this is what's going on. And I go around the room and everyone sort of starts saying, oh, yes, I feel the energy, or, you know, whatever. 
Um, but then I start to second guess myself, and I look around the room and I think, no, these people, they all seem like pretty intelligent people. They seem like, you know, pretty, pretty well-adjusted, you know, pretty happy folks, and uh, maybe the problem's with me, you know? Maybe I just suck at meditation. Maybe over the last 10, 15 minutes while we were doing this meditation, everybody else in the room has ascended to a higher astral plane, and I'm stuck back here, you know, in the conference room at the library. And I, you know, begin to sort of second guess myself, and I look around the room, and I think, nah, nah, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that, that now nah, they're full of shit. And as I look around the room, it finally it occurs to me, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're full of shit. So what? I mean, these are po- folks who are on this spiritual path or trying out this spiritual path that, for whatever reason, you know, comforts them or brings them some kind of solace or helps them make sense out of what's a pretty seemingly senseless world sometimes. And so what? You know, they're not out trying to legislate who we can and can't marry based on a literal interpretation of whatever ancient text they hold sacred. They're not trying to put a picture of mother in all the courtrooms around the nation and making people say this mantra to her as they enter or whatnot. They're just trying out this spiritual path and inviting any like-minded people who want to come along for the ride to join them, man. You know, there's a lot lot of worse ways you can spend the Sunday afternoon than that. I start feeling like a like a like a cynic and a and a huge asshole as I'm sitting there. And then I start to wonder about myself and I think what if what if this thing that I think of as my bullshit detector what if it's not a bullshit detector at all? What if it's a defense mechanism? What if I'm so wary of being duped because of whatever baggage and angst that I have about spirituality, about religion? What if I'm so wary of being duped that it's made me afraid to experience the world or to try out new ideas or to open my mind to possibilities? And I don't know that I, I, actually, I I know that I don't have the answer to that question. I certainly didn't find the answer to that question in that conference room in the library that day. So I don't pretend to have any answers to that, but at least I have the question, and I guess that's something. All right, I want to end today with what I hope will become a recurring segment here uh, on the exit ramp, and that's what I'm going to call reasons to be cheerful. You know, there's a there's a lot of reasons to, to be a pessimist. Just look around. That doomsday clock keeps ticking closer and closer to midnight. Climate change and famine and war and comment section on the internet fucking Trump and all these other reasons 
we have to make us wonder why people are so attracted to dystopian novels and dystopian movies, man. If you just open your eyes and look around, it's pretty clear we're living in one. So I don't think we need to be reminded of reasons uh, to be a pessimist, but sometimes we do need to be reminded that, that there are reasons for optimism. So here's a, a reason to be cheerful. And this one comes from uh, the BBC's Planet Earth 2. And it's a, uh, you know, basically a nature documentary uh, building on the first planet Earth. It features, you know, amazing camera work. And uh, in, the, in the Planet Earth 2, uh, the last installment, the last episode is called Cities. Uh, and it's uh, about wildlife living in our cities. And as you might imagine, it's... Uh, for the most part, pretty gritty, pretty grimy, uh, but it ends on a hopeful note uh, about the greening of our cities, and uh, there's a show of skyscraper in Milan where uh, they've basically planted it as a vertical forest, you know, planting trees around the outside of it, sort of inviting uh, nature back into the city, and then they move on to a more extreme example, and that's Singapore, uh, which I've always thought of, I've never been to Singapore. But I've always kind of thought of as the place where they will cane your ass for you know dropping bubble gum on the sidewalk or farting in public or something. And uh, they talk about how how green this green movement in Singapore and how they've cleaned up the waterways around the city and they show otters playing in the river and whatnot. Then they go into this green space that exists right in the middle of the city and they've planted these amazing like. 50 meter tall structures uh, that look kind of like trees and they've planted creeper vines all around them um, and they're just teeming with life you know exotic birds exotic for us not exotic for Singapore I'm assuming they're native birds you know birds and insects and wildlife kind of living in harmony with with people in the middle of the city and David Attenborough um, ends the series basically with this question and he says he wonders if this is the future of human cities, and I think that the answer to that question is like, yeah, if if we want to survive, it better be. And so it's good to know that in a world that seems like it's going to hell all around us, sometimes it's good to know that there are folks, some of us, somewhere who might just be figuring it out and that is a reason to be cheerful and so we've come to the end of the road thank you for listening don't forget to follow us on twitter at exit ramp podcast that's at exit ramp podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the dms there and if you see a man barreling down the interstates of south carolina talking to himself Don't forget to wave.